0: I said it in the announcements. uh, The the story of Joseph, like the story of Jacob, like the story of Job, like the story of Jesus, the the whole Bible, the whole religion of Christianity does kind of have one meaning, uh, one ultimate word from God. Uh, You know, I want to still rightly distinguish law and gospel, I'm not denying that, but what I'm saying is... You're going to go through it. There's no getting out of it. Nobody gets to stop any of it. You're going to go through it. And for each of us, that's different. But, you know, through the fire and flames, through the fire in the water, through deep waters, whatever that means to you and your world out there right now. Yeah, you're going to go through it. Joseph was in prison. Joseph was wrongly accused. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit, sold to his cousins. Jacob has his own sons, kill one of his sons, leaves him bereaved in his old age. I mean, poor Jacob, that's where we're going to pick up today. Poor Jacob. But of course, you know the story of Job, right? That's kind of the the big picture of the whole thing, that sometimes you do it all right and it doesn't matter. God's like, nope. And you just kind of have to be a creature. And that's the lesson the author of the Hebrews tells us Jesus learned on the cross The mystery of mysteries, how the incarnate God-man learns, I don't know. Maybe the same way we do, though, from his Father. Right? And so he learns the lesson on the cross of humiliation and subjugation, of place as a man, and he's vindicated and ascended to the highest place of all the heavens as a man, so that you're going to go through it with him. Now, and, and the promise is that, I mean, this is this is Joseph, this is Jacob, this is Job, this is Jesus, this is you. You're going to go through it and you're going to be better for it. You're not going to be worse for it. Whatever's coming next, you're not going to be worse off. You're going to be better off. Now, you might have less things. You might have less hope in this world. But see, that's actually much better off. Hope in this world's very not well off. <laughs> that's fragility right there. right That's waiting to despair. Uh, uh, hope in in things that cannot be taken from you. That is stability. And I would suggest to you that's how Joseph got through it all, was he didn't forget the Bible, even though he didn't have one. Certainly didn't have access to reading one anymore, but he remembered what he had been promised of old. He knew what circumcision meant. And it was very clear to him that he was not like anybody else. <laughs> yeah, It just had to be, that was the way it was for him. Everywhere he went, every locker room the slaves were in. Right? Not like anybody else. And yet that meant something. It meant he was not alone as he went through it. So this is where, you know, poor Jacob has kind of forgotten that he's not alone in the story. Chapter 43 picks up. We're going to look at verse two, page 36 of your pew Bible. Uh, when did you know it's like the last thing on the page. So way on the bottom right of page 36, we're going to pick up with where, where Jacob is. Remember we left off, the brothers go back. Simeon's not with them. Benjamin's at home. Uh, and they go back without Simeon. They say, well, we got to take Benjamin down. Dad says, no way. No way. And, and remember how like this pretty much shows you he ceased believing something of the promises of God that through his children, the world will be blessed. Somehow he ceased believing that or he thinks like if it, if, if it doesn't happen through Benjamin, it doesn't count or something. And we're going to see in the story, I don't know if I'll have time to touch on it today, but there's definitely a moment where he says, I have one wife and two sons. And one son's dead. And Benjamin's my only son. Imagine the family dynamic again, right? This is about inheritance. And inheritance back then is about survival. It's not about, do I get to buy a second home or a boat? It's about, do I have anything to live on or do I have to go scrap, right? And so there's a real heated family dynamic going on behind all of this. And they come back and they say, you know, give us your heir, right? he says, no, because he ceased to believe the promises of the other heir, right? Joseph, who had a vision like Jacob himself did of things that would happen in the future. And he doesn't believe that anymore. He's going to demonstrate that even more right now. Uh, Woe is Jacob indeed. He has no hope, right? Here here we go. Uh, Verse 2 It says, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. So, around all of this, they're also about to starve. Right? Societal collapse has already taken place. There's no question of can we buy food at the grocery store? There's no food at the grocery store. And this is a couple years later, we had some supplies we got down from Egypt, right? We've been with no food for a while but we've got enough for us. We're getting by and we're out now. Go buy some more food. And they come back to him with this whole story. Like, dad, you know this. We can't go without Benjamin. He'll just put all of us in jail. Do you remember, Simeon? A couple years now in a prison cell. I mean, less than Joseph spent for sure, but still, you know, that's not fun. He finally gives in, um, in part because of the kingly stand of Judah. I want to show you this in verse eight. Uh, where Judah, I mean, to tell him the story, and then Judah says something that's very unlike Judah up to this point. Let me roll this back for perspective. Judah is the fourth son of Leah, right? Benjamin is the second son of Rachel. Leah and Rachel, sisters, not concubines, actually wives. So legally speaking, there are six people who can inherit the double portion. Uh, Six people who can inherit it all, really. And again, Joseph gets knocked off because he's clearly the one God dad, dad chose, right? So he gets knocked off. Who's left? Well, dad's saying Benjamin, although on the other side, you've got you got Reuben and Levi and Simeon. Oh, where's Simeon? He's gone. But Levi and Simeon struck themselves out of dad's favor when they killed all the people who were related to the rapist of Dinah, if you remember that. And then Reuben goes and has sex with his you know, brother's mother and all this stuff, and so he's out. So it's really between Judah and Benjamin right now for the inheritance. Okay. It's between Judah and Benjamin right now for the inheritance. Think what this could look like to dad. You want to take Benjamin away? <laughs> yeah. And yet, and yet, Judah, now before, where he was the one leading the charge, let's get rid of Joseph. He says this, verse 8. He said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have returned twice. Now, imagine how those words sank in his gut when he saw the cup in Benjamin's sack. You ever had something you lost, you couldn't find it? Yeah. Or be in that moment where you know you did wrong and you're caught? Yeah. Oh, it must have hurt his stomach, let me tell you. Uh, verses 11 to 13, we'll get to that point in the story. 11 to 13, uh, Jacob relents, okay? So he gets the promise of atonement by Judah, which is pretty cool, Christocentrically. And he says, Fine, go. He does some stuff where he says, you know, here it is, yeah, verse eleven. If it must be so, right? Like, if my grandkids are going to die of starvation, I guess he's not really anything but a bitter man right now. You notice his hope is show, his hopelessness is showing, uh, but he's not foolish. Uh, Takes some of the choice fruits of the land. Notice you can't live on choice fruits. Yeah, you can eat them, you can't live on them. Uh, And carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Um, Again, good things, but not enough to survive on, right? Take double the money with you. Remember, they had the money show up magically in their sacks. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight, Take also your brother. There's the thing they need. And rise, go again to the man. You know, what's he doing? He's buttering the guy up. He's offering a gift. He's basically saying, I want my son back. <laughs> yeah. Um, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. It really is, if I am barren, I am barren. Again, I ask you this so that we might grow as a people. Where's his faith? And I tell you, there ain't none in this story right now. The dude is despairing for all the wrong reasons directly against the actual promises he got and visions from God. Poor guy. Let's not be like that, huh? Let's encourage each other with better words than if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Thanks, Dad. See you later. Hallelujah. You know, I mean, how are you going to praise God on the way? And how about a little trust? Well, since God has promised that my children can't die, uh, I get Joseph's a strange scenario, but how would I exercise my faith in the circumcision, which I put on all these guys, and say, not only go, but I am sure you will come back with a blessing because that's what our God does. If you read the Psalms, that's how David talks. That's how David talks. That's how David reigns. That's how the faith of David is the heart of a man that God loves. And it's how we in Christ now are free to be. I get it. Every fear that comes my way changes my story, and I forget all about how I'm a son of God. I go and I try to fix it like a man. But the stories keep coming back to us to make it so that when we try to fix it like men, we fix it like men of God, women of God. Children of God, people of God, the army of God—all these good things. Yeah. Poor Jacob. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Uh, they go down and they run into Joseph's skepticism, and I'm not going to go through all of all of the rest of uh, uh, 43 there. But uh, in verse 29 and 31, while while Joseph is. You know, preparing to test them. He throws a big feast. They're going to kind of be shown a good time. They'll get to see Simeon. Um, but let's see here. Verse 29, this is on page 37. Uh, it says, he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin. Last time he saw this guy, he was two, right? And he's honestly not sure if his brothers killed him or not. And it's been two years since he said, bring the guy back. Right? And he's overseeing stuff, selling and buying, buying and selling. He's got his sons at home. He's forgotten his old life. He has to. He knows the promises, though. And he sees the guy's face, Right, his mother's son. And he says he's got to control himself because of what happens next. I can imagine, though, he's stumbling right now. Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Notice he blesses him. The thing Jacob doesn't do to his sons is they leave. He blesses him. God will be gracious to you, my son. There's a promise. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber, and he wept there. And he washed his face and came out and controlled himself. He's still not sure he trusts everybody, but it's getting to him, right? It's getting to him deep. And you might remember when Jesus weeps at Lazarus' tomb. There's overlap here, right? The story, and it's not one-to-one, but it almost is. It's foreshadow. It's foreshadow. So Joseph's skepticism goes, but his eyes are opened as he sees Benjamin. Uh, the plot thickens a bit. They have a uproar in time. I mean, the wine is flowing at this meal, and Joseph's having a good time with them. And then he gives them all this grain, and he sends them on their way with blessings and all this stuff, but he has his servant put his cup. Is it really what he uses for divination? Is that a lie? It's certainly a foreshadow of the chalice, I think. You gotta see the Lord's Supper a little bit in it, but you gotta make some jumps to do it. Nonetheless, he he. He puts the cup in the sack that belongs to Benjamin, sends them out of town, then sends the army after them to surround them and say what's in the sacks. And you get this amazing moment uh, where they say that they um, uh, is this is this verse six. Let's see here, chapter forty four, uh, verse six. Yeah, right. Uh, so if you turn the page to page thirty eight. Uh, chapter 44, verse 6, you know, the, the army surrounds them and they shout, you know, you've stolen from us, you betrayers, you wicked men. And and verse 6, when, when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words, then they said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? They, they didn't steal a cup. Nobody stole a cup. Nobody stole a cup. They're all innocent. And they said, oh, we're innocent. Far be it from your service to do such a thing. I mean, they were scared the whole time. Why would they steal a cup? They're glad to get away. Yeah. Uh, behold, they're like, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought it back to you from the land of Canaan. How can we then steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Which is reasonable. I was like, obviously, why no one would steal? It's obvious. Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. Oh guys, stop while you're ahead, you know. <laughs> uh, and we will be my lord's servants. Like they just sell themselves into slavery, but such is their integrity such as their conviction. They believe they have not done any wrong, and they have not done any wrong. But Joseph is going to test them on a much older wrong to see if they'll do right in the face of evil. Right, uh, And so he says, sure. Right? He who found it shall be my servant, the rest shall be innocent. So he, he counters in the barter of, of legal justice and says, no, 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 it's enough for the guy, whoever did it. Right? And then they all lower their sacks, they go through it, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Again, just imagine Everyone's just gonna have their heart drop. Oh dear God, literally, right? And I hope they did. Dear God, and that's that's the moment. Like I can do nothing to fix this. Jesus, help. Right. That that's dear God, rightly used, or oh my God, rightly used, not as a curse, but as a oh my God, please, right? Those are our words that they stole and make vain. We can use them rightly. I and mean, it had to be what they were thinking here, if not, you know, saying. Uh, the cup is in Benjamin's sack. They load up, they go back to the city. Uh, and then uh, verse 18, you know, this is where uh, they're confronted over this and we just heard it read. So I'm not going to read it all again, 18 to 34, where Judah takes his, his stand. And he says, you know, I might've, he doesn't say it out loud, I might've killed one brother, but I'm not letting this one die. It doesn't matter what you do to me. What future you give me, I will be yours. It's just not this one. No, right? That's a powerful moment. It's, it's a kingly stand. It's, it's when you see anyone who's weaker than you and you decide you'll make sure they have it good. That moment, however you can. It doesn't have to be a lifelong commitment to everybody, right? It's just, just at that moment, you realize they're less than you in their strength and then you make them strong. beautiful beautiful thing, is very much what Judah does at a full intercession, right? Atonement. He stands in the breach. He says, let the wrath fall upon me and you must see then. Here's why Judah is the forbearer of Christ in this story. Truly, he is the father of Jesus by many generations. And it's this moment where he says, I will atone for my brothers, for for all, right? And it, uh, it is a pushing forward to Christ. That said, let's look at verse 30 to 34. Again, where he says, now if I do not bring him back, I'm jumping down to 33, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. And I as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father? Remember the despairing state Jacob is in. If he is not with me, I fear I would see the evil I would bring upon my father. Um, there's something there that I think America, as a spirit, whatever that means, could really learn. But we're all Americans, so we all have some of this that we just happen to have. We don't have kings. right? We don't have kings. We have presidents, and we we, we say often whatever we like about them. right? Um, and fine, I'm all for free speech. Uh, I like it. But there's something about the Christian mind that recognizes while it's wrong to forbid a man to speak what he believes is true, it's not really right to say everything you think is true all the time. Right? There's something good about a, about a tamed or a, or a silent tongue. And so to see then that the good that we can do in the world often is by controlling when we speak and when we don't speak so that we speak for what is good And we save the words for those who will hear. That's exactly what Joseph has done here now, right? He he has waited. He has bided his time. He has asked the questions. He's not really trying to hurt them. He's trying to make sure his brother's okay. He's trying to make sure his father has the faith again. He's trying to live based upon the promises. And again, this is what you're doing. So see that God is with you the way God is with Joseph. And then what does Joseph get to do more than anything else? Is it wield all the money? No, it's forgive the people who don't deserve it. That's what he gets to do. He gets to be bigger than them in his heart. It's a beautiful thing, the first being last like that. Here it comes, 45, chapter 45, verses one to eight. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to my bro- his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, Please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Um, I I didn't look into this, but just noting there, uh, made me a father to Pharaoh. Uh, the, The Pharaoh who put this all into place died the first year of the famine. That's outside biblical information, but he did. He died the first year of the famine. So this next Pharaoh, he says, made me a father to Pharaoh. This guy's probably a little young. And Jacob's just steward of the whole place. Right? He is like Pharaoh at this moment. It's it's quite a thing. And and he says, this is all not for me. This is so I could preserve life. Right? It isn't about his family. It isn't just about the covenant promise and the seed of promise because that is about life. So it's about all the people who are going to starve if someone didn't do something. It's about all the people who were too weak to help themselves, who were helped by a man of God, who got inspired to do something, mainly through prayer, waiting, and his duty until he was blessed with favor from above. And again, I contend that man or woman, child or old, that that's you. That's the promise of the New Testament to you. You may engage every single battle, every single circle, every single layer of your life with the confidence that God is with you to preserve life as he was with Joseph. That's what baptism means. It's not just, I'm going to heaven because I was a baby and they put water on me. It's that I am different than the rest of the world. It means I can walk out into the all the hell of it. And I can know God's behind me. I don't have to prove to my God on the way. He has proven to me as he shoves me forth. Yeah. And this is every Christian's promise. Every Christian's promise. Huh? All right. So there's a little more here still. We got some time, which is good. After this kingly stand of Judah, this revelation of the upper room experience, again, see Jesus in the upper room, see how he says, I forgive you. There's such a cool typology going on right there. Um, but then, you know, guess who hasn't been seen yet and is still wallowing in despair uh, up in, up in uh, Hebron, actually, uh, and that's Jacob. Jacob doesn't know any of this. And so the story goes on. Jacob, uh, Joseph tells his brothers, you know, take carts, uh go get your families, go get your tents, go get your herds, go get everything, get dad and, and and bring him down, uh bring him back. Um so verse 25 of chapter 45. This is on page 39. We're going to track this a little bit, the bringing of Jacob down because it's it is the end of his story. And remember again, he's he's without Faith, kind of. He doesn't know what he's believing. That's for sure. He's waffling like the wind, following worldly stories. Verse 25, uh, page 39. They went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, (laughs) he is risen, right? Not quite, not quite, but almost. Rainbow-colored cloak promises the dream of old. We're going to go bow down to him right now, just like it was promised. Joseph is still alive. And he is, he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. You have to work. We have to bow to him, actually. <laughs> it's required. Yeah. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Right. Just like the brothers when they first see Joseph, just like the disciples in the upper room. Right. I don't know what I'm seeing. <laughs> they know what to do with it. But it does come through, uh, the promise. When they told him all the words of Joseph, verse 27, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons, right, the proof there's money down there. that came back uh, that Joseph had sent to carry him. The spirit of their father revived. Right, he took a deep breath, and uh, and he did not have the heart attack. He almost gave himself by sheer worry. Right, <laughs> uh, instead uh, he he breathed and moved on in God's grace. Uh, and Israel said, "It is enough. Uh, Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die." And what happens next is. Uh, A little unseen bit of the story, but it's pretty big for Jacob's life. Just reading straight forward. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Uh, That means uh, the well of the seven or the well of the oath. And it's a well and an area that was purchased for use by Abraham from the nearby king Abimelech. There's more than one Abimelech in the Bible, so don't get too excited about knowing who he is. But it's down in the south side of of Israel between a couple of rivers. And it remains there to this day, the well of the oath, the well of the seven at Beersheba. Um, It's an ancient fact, right? Um, And it is a place where, again, his father... Abraham, grandfather, bought property in the Holy Land. There's only two of these spots. One's Hebron and one's Beersheba. They kind of have the rights to the place as opposed to just, they're just on other people's land at their good grace, which is kind of how it was most the rest of the time. So he goes back by this as he leaves the land. So think of it as the southern border in some ways, right? And he offered sacrifices to God, the God of his father, Isaac, That's interesting, right? So he calls on the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob again, in visions of the night. Oh, another vision. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. That'll be something that comes back as a refrain in a number of stories in the Bible. Uh, Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. Uh, Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. Uh, uh, They also took their livestock and all this uh, down to Canaan. So the emphatic point of this later vision is, All the things have come true that Jacob didn't believe. They've come true. And then God says at a landmark spot where he's going to emphasize, this isn't even about Jacob. It's about the land, which is about Jesus. At that spot, he says, I'll give you one more vision, Jacob, to make sure you know. I never left. This never was out of order. It was never not according to my plan. Even the blood on the rainbow Everyone later will get it. If you don't, Jacob, Joseph will close your eyes. Fear not. Same promise he's had all along. It's not a new promise. His sons are going to be there. Yeah, But, but there it is. Uh, the God who knows we are so faithless so often is not afraid to repeat his promises. <laughs> That's why taking the Lord's Supper weekly is a good idea. right? You get the promise repeated. Uh, just a touch more here uh, to the end. Let's jump over to verse 28. Of, of chapter uh, 46. It's sort of leading up to and what we're going to look at next week. Um, uh, that... Uh- when uh, Jacob sends, it says he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph. Jacob sends some of the family ahead to Joseph to find out where to take this big group of people, 75 people, to show the way before him in Goshen. Um, and they came into the land of Goshen. Uh, then Joseph prepared his chariots and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. Uh, he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Uh, Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face. Um, he, he won't die yet. Uh, there's some story that happens in Goshen still. There's more uh, shenanigans with the brothers. So we got more coming. Um, but this is sort of like the return of Christ a little bit, this moment where Joseph goes to Goshen. Because again, remember, you have like a group of 75 people in total, including women, infants, and children, in a desert climate tent living famine, where they're kind of and have been not sure what tomorrow or next week or next year will bring. And now they've all been swept up by kind of a letter from a rich uncle and taken off to a completely different place where they're going to live, like by the seashore in mansions. And they're all there. And you can imagine these kids in their scrap clothing and they're kind of crawling on the ground and getting the carpet dirty. And then in comes Joseph in a coat of many colors with Pharaoh's signet and a big cane and all this. Imagine how much awe everyone would have had, right? And can you imagine the joy in Joseph's heart to see those children not starving, to know that they're his, his people's, right? It's not over. We're still going, but don't miss. uh, The return of Christ on his great day will be no less miraculous, no less glorious and beautiful than Joseph's visit, visit to Goshen. And it is certainly, for more than 75 people, it's for the entire world. And of course, that includes you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.